0: Floss for Science podcast, the podcast about free, libre, and open-source software for science.
1: Today, David and I are interviewing Sebastian L'Oriot about the Computational Geometry Algorithms Library Siegel. Hi, Sebastian. Could you introduce yourself and talk with us about your current research projects?
2: Hi. So thanks for the invitation. I'm currently a research and development engineer at Geometry Factory. I'm principally involved in the development of algorithms for mesh processing like Boolean operations, mesh overlay, and mesh repair, to name but a few.
1: Okay. Before we start talking in depth about Seagull, would you mind introducing the Seagull f- library for our listeners who may not be aware of its functions and capabilities? Yeah, sure. So Seagal is
2: a C++ template library that provides data structure and algorithm to solve some geometric-oriented problems in 2D, 3D, and D-dimension. So for example, let's say you have a set of points in space, and you would like to get the k points that are the closest to a given query point you have. So to do that, you can use the k-d 3 package. Say, now that uh, you have a set of segments in the plane, and you would like to compute the decomposition of the the plane induced by those segments, then you can use um, an arrangement package for doing that. But there are also some more high-level packages in the library, like uh, the segmentation of an object defined by a triangle mesh. So Let's say you have a meshing of a hand, and you would like to decompose each fingers of the hand so you can do that too. And we have many more other algorithms inside the library. It's, it's pretty diverse.
0: Okay, so you'd say that Seagull is more like a, a package of libraries that are closely linked and related together?
2: Yeah, exactly. There's around 120 different packages in, in the library.
0: What is your current relation with the Seagull project? So
2: I'm a developer, a maintainer, of the library and also i'm a member of the editorial board the editorial board for the siga library is like it's the same thing like for a journal we are taking care of reviews so each, each time somebody wants to integrate something inside the library we're submitting a, a proposal and then basically we help them uh going through the review process so the goal of the review process is to make and um, the package fits uh with the um, the api basically of the of the library so that it's consistent
0: okay so there's kind of review of incoming libraries and there's quality assurance over the whole process
2: yeah exactly yeah exactly
0: exactly okay uh how did you initially got involved in the project
2: i think i started using seagull when i was a phd student i needed to use the alpha shape package for computing the volume of proteins defined as the union of balls. And so I used the Seagal package for that. So it was working well, but I needed to make it faster. And I wrote a static version of uh, the same package. So this this was doing the same thing, but without being able to change some parameters. So it was making the the code faster. So um, it really made the difference. So I decided to submit it to the library and then it was accepted and then I get more and more involved in the, in the project and I even got a position thanks to my in- involvement into the Sigal project after my PhD well after my postdoc
1: Okay, what was the topic of your PhD thesis? Oh, my PhD thesis, uh, it was arrangement of circles
2: on a sphere with application to to what To computational biology I don't remember exactly the title, but yeah, that was working. That was doing some uh, g- using some geometric tools to infer some some key parameters on the um, on proteins, for example. So let's say for helping the bindings of proteins. And...
1: Okay, so let us go deeper into Seagull. What are the main features of Seagull? I think you mentioned there are a lot of libraries. Could you maybe? Name the most important libraries for respect to geometry modeling and meshing.
2: I first want to mention two key things about uh, Seagull. So Seagull is known for being robust and being generic. Robust means that if you run the algorithm, it should basically do not crash. For a geometric algorithm, it is complicated to guarantee because the outcome of the algorithm depends on the input data. And the input can be really nasty. In Seagal, we guarantee the robustness without sacri- sacrificing the efficiency by using several levels of filtering. The generosity in SIGAL means that a given algorithm can be used in different scenarios without having to rewrite it. Basically, uh, if you want to use, for example, the 2D triangulation algorithm, there is a parameter, which is the geometry threats, and these threats basically define the space in which the points lies. So you can use this um, triangulation algorithm for uh, computing a triangulation of 2D points in the plane, but let's say you have uh, a surface mesh which has faces which are uh, not triangle, and you would like to triangulate those faces. So basically you're using the same algorithm but, but just changing this geometry threat parameter, you can use the algorithm for triangulating the face directly without any conversion.
0: Okay. What kinds of tools are available to create geometry of models? Or do you uh, take geometries and modify them with Seagull? Seagull is not really a modeler. We do have some low-level tools for creating meshes. Like, yeah, you have really
2: ba- basic things where you can create triangles and then link them together. But there is not really um, tools for building things. So, of course, you have also some function for creating Ex-Hydra and and... Um, it were really basic primitives, but it's really a library. You cannot really um, assemble things together.
0: Okay, so you take output, uh, input data from other sources and ge- then treat them to generate the other representations.
2: Yeah. Okay. So if you, yeah, sure. If you use a mesher then you can uh, create a surface out of it. You, so you read a three D image and then create a mesh. So in that sense, you can create models, but It's not like you're gonna create something like in blender or
1: what kind of data representations of geometries can be imported by seagull so basically you can import polygon meshes uh, point clouds
2: polylines polygons well basically any discrete object so for example we don't have a a reader for NURBS file for example or or Spins, stuff like that. You don't really have that. The only non discrete things we have is basic curve in 2D for the Arrangement package.
0: Okay. Also, I've seen that SIGL can be used for geometry reconstruction. Uh, what are the capabilities of SIGL regarding that function?
2: In Seagull, we have two principal type of algorithms. The first one is using Poisson surface reconstruction algorithm. So the input is a set of points plus uh, some normals associated to, to those points. And it produces a closed uh, surface mesh as output. And the other one is an algorithm that is taking your input points and uh, generates a not necessarily closed uh, mesh, but uh, it will exclusively use the points from the input.
0: Okay, what kind of um, application is there for those kind of meshing or ge- geometry reconstruction?
2: Well, basically, let's say you have uh, a 3D scanner, and then you are scanning your uh, input model. What you have as uh, output from your scanner is a set of points, and usually some normals associated to it. And well, you you would like to reconstruct the 3D model, and then you are using a reconstruction algorithm for that purpose.
0: Okay. So, you can treat point clouds to generate geometries, but what are the kinds of data, input data can be used in those uh, algorithms?
2: You mean for the reconstruction?
0: Yeah, for geometric reconstruction.
2: Uh, if you really. Okay, so what we call reconstruction usually is from cloud. But if you are talking more about meshing capabilities, um, the, the 3D measure from Seagal is able to take some 2D images, like you have from when you are doing a, a CT scan, and you can extract some ISO levels from the images, and then you can mesh those uh, isolables using the, the 3D mesher.
0: Okay. So for organic features like body parts? Yeah, it
2: can be body parts. It, it can
0: it can also be ge, um, geological bodies,
2: you know, where, when you get some seismic uh, weights.
0: Yeah, geolog- geological maps or anything that is more complex to model than standard, like CAD parts and the mechanical parts yeah, exactly. with, with fixed exactly. geometry. So it's like it Sigal is more appropriate for complex geometries. You would say, and and even at that point, geometries is maybe not even the proper word. <laughs> it's more. I
2: think it's it's the, the thing with Sigal is that it's generic. You also have a, a, a parameter me- in the mesher. You do have a, a parameter for what is the the object you want to mesh. So. As long as you can, you are able to say for any point in the space, whether it is inside or outside your, the object you want to mesh, basically you can mesh it with the Seagull Mesher.
1: Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about meshes. What type of meshes can be generated with Seagull? So in Seagull, we can generate triangle meshes and phytohedral meshes.
0: Okay, uh, do you have a lot of control over the creation of meshes? Um, yes, for triangle meshes,
2: so in the plane, we have uh, criteria on the angles and on, on the sizes of the triangle. So it can be a uniform size, but it, it can also be a size field. So it, it, depending on the location of in the plane, you can say, okay, here I need some more small triangle. And in other location, you can say, okay, I need some larger one. And for the 3D, it's rather similar. You got also some shape uh, criteria, angle criteria and um, aspect ratio. Criteria.
0: Okay, with those kind of c- control that you have, would you be able to model like boundary layers, for example?:
2: Yeah, so we were talking earlier of meshing um, medical images. So if you, are, for example, have an image of the brain, you could extract uh, several uh, domains right in the brain. And with the mesh, the three mesh of CIGAL, you are able to mesh the whole brain and with the faces of the phytotra being on uh, the boundary of the different layers.
1: Okay. Would it be able to load in pre-existing mesh and maybe after I run a simulation and I want to have more precision in some parts of my geometry, could I do an adaptive refinement in this pre-existing mesh? So if you are... If Taking a sofa mesh, yes, you can do that.
2: We have some algorithm for remeshing uh, surfaces and refining them. For a meshes, it's not possible, except if your input mesh is a Doloni mesh, because this is, well, the, the mesher is based on the, the dot-only refinement, so the mesh needs to be uh, a Doloni mesh. So it, it, it cannot be a general fitahedron mesh, while for a triangle mesh, yes.
1: Okay. Can I do my mesh generation with Seagull and then export it in some format which can be read by Abaqus or some other software?
2: Yeah, sure. You can export it to unstructured uh, grid from DTK, for example. Okay. Or, you know, or the medit format.
1: Okay. So in the previous episode, we presented Gmesh. What are the main differences between Seagull and GMAS regarding the mesh capabilities? I'm probably not the best person to talk about uh, that because my knowledge of GMSH is rather limited. But from
2: what I know, um, this is more of an, app- an uh, end-user application for uh, finite elements analysis. While Seagal is a library that, and you need to write code to get the output. So it's not like you're taking Seagal and then you can directly have a mesh. You need to write some C++ code, compile it, and then
0: run it. Okay, so they're both playing at different levels.
2: I think I think you can also use GMSH on command line and maybe in C++. I think yeah, it's not really the same the same thing. Well, the, not the same usage. I would say it's it's more when you just want to try and generate a mesh, it's maybe more easier to do it with GMesh than with Seagull. Even if in Seagull we do have a demo where you can load your mesh and, and mesh it, but I think especially if you want to do some uh, finite element analysis simulation after, GMSH is probably better, yeah.
0: Okay. Also, is it possible to do data visualization in uh, Seagull from the result of your simulations?
2: Yeah, so as I was saying, we do have a Polygen demo, which is also shipped with uh, the library. So we do have it pre-compiled for Windows. For the next release, I think we will also have... uh, an app image for Linux distributions. So basically, this uh, 3D demo, you can o- um, open a 3D model like Apply or STL or B- OBG, whatever. And then you can basically call many packages of Seagull directly inside the demo. So you can do some meshing, you can do Boolean operation. and you can even do reconstruction if you are loading
0: a Point cl- Cloud. OK, so you, you are planning on developing a graphical user interface. F- Calling Sigil libraries.
2: Well, it's it's been developed for some time now, and we we just don't really advertise it enough I, I think so. This is something we should do more in the future. But yeah, okay. Actually, actually, we are using this application every day for for our jobs when we need to debug something or whatever. It's
0: really convenient. Usually, what kind of data format are more suited for work, to be worked with in Sigil and what would be the preferred one?
2: So historically, it's the OFF format for uh, tr- for polygon meshes. But you can al- we can also read some FTL file, OBG, and, and Ply for, also for the point clouds. So Ply is really interesting if you have some properties attached to your points and you want to get them uh, loaded inside the point set structure. And for phytodron meshes, so I, I was saying that there is the VTK format, but otherwise, it, we, are, we have an internal format because there are some extra parameters that are stored in the, in the mesh.
1: Okay, thanks for the introduction of Seagull. Yeah, and we went quite deep into its capabilities. If you had to summarize in, say, 30 seconds what Seagull is, what would you say? Um, I would say that Seagull is a
2: collection of robust geometric algorithms and data structures that can be used within your own application. So instead of reinventing the wheel, it is good practice to pick the geometric component you need in Seagull and to focus on your domain of expertise.
0: Okay. What are traditional use cases for a Seagull? And from your experience, what is the oddest use case that you've ever heard of?
2: So the typical, I would say, one of the most used packages is the 2D and 3D triangulation, because it has many applications in various domains. And the oldest use, uh, I remember. Yeah, there is this design studio, Nervous. Uh, They were doing some product, some design product based on computational geometry, and they they were having a a lamp design. So you could order some lamps on their website, and each lamp was unique, and it was the result of a process simulating the leaf, uh, the vein formation of a leaf. And they were, use, they were using Seagull for yeah for for doing that.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's an kind of interesting uh, application. Yeah. Okay. So,
1: what are the requirements to install Seagull on a computer? Do you have to have a fuel computer to run, run all these algorithms, or can you use a normal laptop?
2: Um, okay. So first, to install it. The only thing you need to have is, is a development environment, so basically a compiler and CMake. So you also need to install the Boost library, because we uh, rely on it heavily, And we also recommend having GMP and MPFR. So these are uh, usually available easily. And then it can be used on any GNU uh, Linux distribution, Unix, Mac OS, and Windows. About the type of computer, there are no real requirements. I even run the Dolony Triangulation on the first generation of Raspberry Pi with some, quite a, quite some points. And I could even run the, the Polygon demo on the version 2 of the Raspberry Pi. So I would say there is no
0: restriction. Okay.
1: Are there any packages of Seagull available in Debian, Ubuntu, or Fedora, or do I have to compile it by my own? No,
2: no, it's available on Debian, on uh, Homebrew, on um, Fedora. Well, in CentOS, well, there are, there is a RPM. I think there are also some packages on pe- 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 PKG and Conda. I think also. Well, there are. It's there are some packages available. We do not take care of all of them. We are we are just taking care of the Debian and. Uh, RPM one, and the other one are done by external contributors.
1: So let us switch to the project and its community. Do you know when the project started? Yeah, in 1996, it started
2: with an European project. It was created because uh, there were some several computational geometry labs that somehow started to be frustrated by the fact they were, that they were developing code, usually they're PhD students. But the code was kind of lost when the student was leaving the lab, and you need to re- to to rewrite those piece of code again and again, and even between labs, the lab needed something, so they they, they needed to rewrite it. So at some point, when the labs realizes that, realized that uh, they were all having the same kind of issues, they decided together to create a library, and and different labs came in and bringing their own expertise and. And the code that they were developing, and then it started like that.
1: Okay, is there an official organization supporting the project? So there are several research institutes that are
2: committed to the development of the library. So they are contributing. So there is no longer uh, an European project on that. So, but there are some researchers that are involved in the in the library, and there is also Geometry Factory, the company. Uh, so the company is taking care basically of so for the Seagull project of all the tasks that are not really development related like second, setting up a test suite, the in infrastructure for the internal wiki, the website, etc. But those, Geometry Factory is also contributing new components to the library.
1: Okay, and how does the company deal with open source? So Is this more a consultant company or do you develop features for clients and then it's going back to the open source or are these paid features kept away from the open source community?
2: So everything we are developing in a factory and end up in uh, the Seagal library as open source. So we are selling some consulting time. Yes. And also we, so there is a a, a dry license in Seagal. So you have some packages that are LGPL, others are uh, GNU-GPL. And of course, when some companies want to use some GNU-GPL packages, they need to buy a commercial license, because usually they don't want to comply with the GPL uh, license. And so we are uh, selling those commercial licenses to the companies. When we sell a license, uh, there is a part of the cell that goes back to the owner of the packages, well, to the copyright owner of the packages. So this is a way to, well, it's a reward also for the contributors that when the package is sold and they get a, a share on the
0: sale. Okay. And to be able to relicense those packages, I suppose the contributors have to sign a contributor license agreement?
2: No. Actually, right now, All the packages in Seagal are are owned by research institutes and Geometry Factory. And Geometry Factory do have commercial agreements with the research institute. So if we do have somebody uh, which is an individual that is uh, contributing something, then something else will will have to be done differently. So if, if this package should at the end be solved by Geometry Factory, there should be an agreement between Geometry Factory and the individual. But it's, it's totally not uh, mandatory to be commercial. This is just something extra that we bring with Chimg Factory. You can just contribute something, and if you don't want it to be, be sold to companies that are not complying with GPL, it's totally fine.
0: Okay. Uh, what are the main communication channels used by the developers and the users of Seagull?
2: So uh, we have an internal mailing list, Seagull Develop. We also have a user mailing list, Seagull Discuss. We have an internal wiki where we are doing the basically the reviews, and we and and recently we also do a lot of our communication directly on GitHub. It's really really convenient.
0: Okay, is there a lot of volume in those communications? Uh, is it a really active community, or is it a low low volume communication channels?
2: I think on GitHub we do have a lot of notifications, so yeah. It's, well, it depends what you call active, but yeah, I mean. You, you have
0: something every day to take care of. Okay, so it's still moderately active. So
1: a lot of documentation seems to be available directly on Siegel's website. Is it a comprehensive resource or is there any other source of information?
2: So everything, all the documentation we have is online. So it's organized per package. So for each package, you have a dedicated chapter and it's a split in two things. So the what we call the user manual So inside, it describes what the package is doing, what is the philosophy. You have some examples also, some some typical use cases of the package. And then you have a a second part in this manual, which is the user reference manual, where uh, everything from this package that is available is described. So you have a precise uh, documentation for everything which is available inside the package. But everything is really split package. So you don't have to read everything in Seagull to to use one package. Just focus on the chapter you're interested in. And Usually it's better to start by taking one example and start to compile it and then you can modify it to to make it do what you want. Okay.
1: When we were looking at the documentation, we have seen that you provide some rules for newcomers. Could you mention something about the Seagull open source project rule and procedures? Yeah. So basically, we wrote those pages uh, so that it makes it
2: easier on the daily basis to decide on something. It's also here to give some idea of how we handle things, to be transparent with the user. So what it said basically is that if you want to integrate something into Sigam you first need to send an email to the editorial board to say that, yeah, yeah okay, I would like to contribute something to Sigam And then we discuss it internally and if we think it's a great contribution to Seagal you are invited to make a proper submission to Seagal. So this consists in providing the documentation and API of the new component. Usually you are assigned an editor that will help you make this submission. When the submission is ready it's submitted to the board and then you are assigned some reviewers and they will give you some feedback, feedback on your contribution. After several review rounds, your package is, u- is usually better than what it was before, and you are allowed to merge it uh, into the integration branch. So this branch is tested every night on various platforms, and when all the tests are good, uh, the risk manager then will take care of merging it into the master branch, and then it will make it to the next release.
1: Okay, so is it a blind review, or do the contributors know who the reviewers are? No, 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 no. They they know we, we review the package. Okay, and do you get many contributions from external users, like small bug fixers, or is it more from the research groups or company who are contributing to Seagull?
2: We have a few small bug fixes that were submitted. So this one, we just review the the code directly on GitHub, and we have some so from external contributors. Recently, uh, right now in the in the pipeline, I think we do we have two. Uh, submission from external person, I mean, not uh, from original entity. and um, yeah. I don't know if I answered your question.
1: Yes. So we also have seen the legal issues for contributors. Can you say why you have these legal issues or what is the purpose of this document?
2: We try to make things consistent in Sigal. So first thing you need to do if you want to submit your code is to make sure and that you agree with the license scheme, so it should be LGPL or LGPL 3 plus or uh, GPL 3 plus. And the second thing you need to make sure is that uh, you own the code that you want to submit, because usually if you have developed this code when you were uh, employed by a company or if you were in a research lab. It might be that you are you are the author of the code, but not the owner. So you, this is something that needs to be verified before
0: uh, anything goes forward. Okay. Which skills are required to contribute to the project? I've heard talk about C++. Is, it most, is the project mostly done in C++ or is there any other sp- languages involved? Do you need any uh, uh, formal review process from like met- from theoretical standpoints?
2: Uh... Um, yeah, so basically, yeah. So contribution C++ for writing code, for sure. But then we also have some uh, contributors, which are just scientists, and they are here to uh, guide students to make the contribution. So, for example, we are now, I think it's, it's the fifth year or sixth year that we are part of the Google Summer of Code project. So this Google Summer of Code is uh, an internship program, which is uh, sponsored kind of by the Google Open Source, um, not the foundation, but by Google Open Source, so what we do in Sigal usually is that we try to get a uh, researcher involved in this uh, inter- internship. So we, we identify some nice uh, paper and say and propose to the researcher whether they would like to get their uh, work integrated into Sigal. So if, if they say yes, it would be nice. Then we we pick a member of Sigal which will take care of uh, the coding review. Uh, of the code review. And then the student is then, uh, a project is proposed. The student takes the the subject and then uh, the mentoring is done with the two persons. So one one in the seagull more technical, and the research scientist. Yeah, we did it for, I think, maybe five packages already. It's it's, And it's working very well. It's really nice.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to ask how many students do you have this year working for Seagal? So this year we have... We well, we, we had initially eight students and one just dropped I think last week. Okay. And in the previous year? Our previous year I think I think it was four. Yeah, I think it was four. Okay. And what about this project? Are most of them successfully finished and are ending up in the master of Siegel or uh I think the ratio
2: maybe half of them Finish well, no more than, I would say more than that. More than that, yeah. More than half end up in the project. So some are, are just not finished, and well, it's a pity, but it's life. But most of, actually, most of them are integrated into, into the library at the end.
0: Okay. Do you provide a lot of support for those uh, students who get involved in the project, and who is in charge of supporting them? So each
2: student is assigned a mentor at least one mentor, and then they also uh, benefit from the whole Seagal community. So they, gotta, they have access, basically, to every resources uh, we can access. So they are really integrated as Seagal developers, because at the end, we really want them to, to stay in the Seagal project and keep on uh, contributing. So they are really integrated into the project like, like any developer would be. And the nice thing with this GSOC stuff is that we also get some uh, money for mentors. So each mentor has got some, some money. And what we are doing right now, well, since the beginning, is take all this money and give it kind of to the Seagal project. And this allows us, for example, to invite those students coming to our developer meeting. Okay. So one year, we invited four, uh, yes. four different students. At, uh, at the meeting, it was really nice. And uh, yeah, something
1: cool. Can you say something about the ratio? Because I was attending the Google Summer of Code Mentor Summit last year. And one big discussion was how many students are finishing after Google Summer of Code and just seeing it for a project to upgrade their CV or making money. And how many people really stay at the community?
2: Actually, we do. Have, well, not, not, not a lot of them are still in, the, in contributing to the project. We do have uh, maybe three or four students that stayed for one or two years, but then they get a job somewhere and that was over. But so some of them stay, keep contributing to Seagala for some time, but then they just talk.
0: Okay. Now we'll tease your brain a little bit about some questions regarding the role of free software in science, and especially, and especially open science. Uh, what is your vision about Flux and its importance for the openness of science? I think it's
2: very important, especially in our community. It's rather common to see in papers that somebody well, that somebody's coming with a new algorithm that is faster than than something. And, and it even happened that we are saying, okay, this is faster than the single package. And then I remember I've uh, been contacting an uh, author to, uh, to ask, okay, what, what are you doing? What are you using? And then... We just realized that the code was not used correctly, and, and the claim was not actually true. so So some, of course, the, some, some guys are um, doing things better than Seagull, but having the code available publicly, then it's really better because you can then look at it and say, "Okay, so this is true, this is great. We are doing a good job." And
1: Okay. What do you think is the most important feature of Seagull for researchers? Ah, I' it consists of a
2: solid base of algorithms and data structure that enable them to build their own prototype for the paper. that way they can focus on new, on new things and not reinventing over and over the same thing to, to start with. So, and the genericity also of the library makes it usable in a wide spectrum of application domains.
0: Okay. Is it possible to integrate SQL in a completely reproducible data analysis workflow?
2: Yeah, sure. It's open source, so you can just refer to the release of Seagull that you used and mention it as a dependency.
0: How do you ensure uh, consistency between versions of Seagull over time?
2: For the outputs? Well, there is no strict guarantee. The only guarantee that we have is the test suite that is running every night and that is checking that Well, it depends on the tests written for the packages, but usually what you do is you write a test suite and you say, okay, at the end of the algorithm I should have this uh, result, and you check that the results are what what it should be. So that's one way to well ensure that at least you you haven't broke something when you update the package.
0: Okay. On which basis are these tests written? If you want to
2: integrate something into Sigal, it needs to have a test suite. That's Mm fine. A test test with it otherwise you, you you might not be able to merge it into the branch well sometimes it happens but it's a mistake it should be tested everything
0: should be tested okay
1: okay one other question so for example i publish a paper and have the initial point cloud where i was doing my research and provide the siegel version and the algorithm i used so if someone using the same input data and the same Siegel algorithm, does he get exactly the same mesh or can it be different? Um, I
2: see what you mean. Yeah, you mean about the de- determinism of the output?
1: Yes. So if I use one input file and the same Siegel algorithm with the same parameters, do I get e- every time exactly the same result or can it depend on the algorithm or the compilation or something?
2: I think it depends... Uh, first, uh, on the seed of the random number generator. So this, you can set it. You can set the seed. So this is the first thing you need to do for algorithms that have some random uh, randomness involved. And then I would say it's all, it also depends on uh, algorithm because some of them are sorting objects uh, using addresses of, uh, of internal objects, for example. So if you have a set which is sorting um, memory, objects in memory, then obviously you won't have the, the same running of the algorithm. But basically you should have something that looks like the same. So for example, for the measure, I think we did the effort to avoid uh, using anything that was comparing addresses in memory. So we have a time step instead. So that way you can guarantee that as as long as the the seed of the random generator is set uh, to two different runs of the measure should give you the same mesh.
0: Okay, interesting. Do you think that using Floss has negative impact on science? No, I don't think so. I think it's, it's the converse.
2: In my opinion, it's a way to avoid inequalities. If you're working in a small lab, chances that you will be allowed to purchase a license of an expensive commercial software are very low. If you're using Floss software, you have access to a large variety of software and they are usually of very good quality and they're, they are performing very well and you have no financial restriction.
0: Okay. And now for the final questions that probably all of our listeners are waiting for. What is your favorite text processing tool?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm using something probably not a lot of people know. It's site. It's really small, really simple. And it's doing nothing but you can write text and you have some a bit of completion, but that's it i mean uh, I try not to be too dependent on the
0: technology
2: at some point. I tried to use Atom, but I gave up because I got some weird issue with it, and I didn't want to spend too much time with the configuration so
0: okay, I've never heard of that one uh, yeah <laughs> is Is there anything else you'd like to share with us?
2: uh no, I think it was very nice talking to you guys.
1: Okay, thank you Sebastian for your time and this interview. If any of our listeners want to contact you, yeah, what is the best way to get in contact with you? So you can find me on
2: GitHub or you can send me an email at uh, sebastian.clorio at seagal.org.
1: Okay, thanks for the interview. Bye. Thank you. Bye. This will be all for today's episode of the Philosopher Science Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that interview. You can reach me on Twitter at DLPK.
0: And you can reach me at underscore dbrass, or both of us at Floss for Science. Also, we are on iTunes and Google Play Music. You can help us by leaving comments and rating to help new listeners discover our shows.
1: Our website is located at flossforscience.github.io, where you can find more of our contact information, And the link of our GitHub page where you can submit subtract ideas for a future episode. Also, we have a small blog post for each episode where we provide more details about our guest and the software and some references.
0: Our current schedule is to release an episode on the first Wednesday of every month. You can get our MP3 and OGG RSS feeds on our website.
1: We hope you enjoyed the show and that we will see you all in our next episode. Bye. Bye.